Hello and welcome to the Mandalorian part. I'm Carl Pierce, and with me, as always, is the R2D2 to my C3PO. It's Scott McLeod. Hello, <laughs> Scott. I don't think you've given yourself the most favourable uh, one of that comparison there, Carl. You know, if you, C3PO stands there and moans all the time while R2D2 comes in and solves everything. <laughs> See, I, got, I gave you, yeah, exactly. I gave you the best one. <laughs> That's how magnanimous uh, I am. I should tell this, this is a funny story. I remember on holiday in Belgium, I got given an R2-D2 uh, toy, literally, and it was a different one from the one I already had because you pressed the button and you actually made the noises. I broke it that same day. Oh, and then I broke no. The actual, and I didn't break it as in, like, smashed it. I broke it as in the, the thing that made the noises because I, I dropped it. Uh, okay, I don't know why. I was a child. I was in a restaurant. I went to the toilet. I dropped it in the toilet. Oh, and I thought, instead of cleaning it, instead of cleaning it with a bit of paper or putting it under the hairdryer, no, I clean it the way I clean everything else. So I ran it under the tap, which made it worse. <laughs> and then I was shocked when I got back to my table, and it wasn't working anymore. So I was a kid, and I was stupid. Well, we've all we've all done that. Let's be honest. Broken you, broken you tie pretty much straight away. I've got one yeah. of these. St- I've got one of these Star Wars plush things. I've got uh, an RTD, RT, R2-D2 one. And you press its chest and it makes little beep-beep-beep noises. And I've got uh, a Yoda and a Darth Vader one that make quotes when you press their chests as well. My mum and dad have never let me forget when it comes to like Christmas and that, that one year... Uh, obviously, I was still fairly young when the, the prequels were coming out, so obviously the, a lot of the Star Wars merchandise in the shops was from them. But we also had an old like pack of three VHSs that had the original trilogy in them, so I was watching them as well. And I wanted an action figure of the, the Alec Guinness old Ben Obi-Wan, because I think I already had the Ewan McGregor one. And my mum and dad could not apparently find one throughout Glasgow to save their lives. Like They hunted everywhere for it. I eventually got one. They've never forgotten the fact that, like, the amount of times I went to a shop, like, we need an old Ben, like, you mean Obi Wan? No, not that, not the Yuma Greg one, the old one. <laughs> yeah, you, you do stuff when you're five, and you, your parents uh, bring it up for the rest of rest of your days. And then you realise when you're older and you've got kids, you realise that's the main benefit of uh, of that, you know, so like, ah, I can equally annoy them and embarrass them of it, because, you know, <laughs> I've, got, I've got a cousin that's 11. And so I've already seen the benefit of bringing up the shit she used to do when she was younger. <laughs> she used to be an attention seeker, always wanting us to video or like singing or whatever. And then we played the videos back. She puts her hand in the head, like, "No, stop it! You're embarrassing me." It's <laughs> what you do. It's what it's like a, a privilege when you get older. But the older you get, the more embarrassing you're allowed to be by the looks of it. <laughs> but just think how embarrassing I must be. <laughs> I was going to say, you must be reveling in it, (laughs) But yeah, today it's a bumper episode because um, the last two episodes are basically uh, two-parters. We're doing them together. So episode seven, The Reckoning, and episode eight, Redemption, we're doing all in one go. Mm -hmm. Let's hope it's not too much of a cluster. Well, as you said, they kind of flow into each other. You know, as I said before, it's the closest we get in this show to a two-parter. And 
otherwise we getting to watch them properly back to back. It was uh it was a hell of a thing. Like I was the most I think it's the two episodes I've enjoyed so far, like for this review. Yeah, definitely the best episodes so far. The best episodes of um, season one, I would say, easily. And uh, yeah, mm. let's uh, crack on. I'll give us a quick, brief overview of the uh, the episodes, and then we can get into it in a little bit more more detail. So basically, uh, the episode opens. Mando receives a message from uh, Grief Carga, played by. Carl Weathers, who offers him uh, a chance of like offers him a contract and a chance of redemption by by going back and killing the client and clearing out the imperial forces that have uh, sort of taken over the planet in his absence. Um, it's clearly a trap. I think Mando might kind of suspect it is a trap, but uh, he he still. Goes accepts the di- accepts the contract, but he doesn't go alone. He uh, goes and rounds up some of his friends, uh, Cara June and Quill, uh, who also brings IG Eleven with him, who is reprogrammed to be like a, a nanny bot now. Quill builds a, a new little crib for um, Grogu or the child, however you want to refer to him at this point. And they and they land on the planet. Grief Cargo meets them there. Uh, they they go over the plan. It all sounds a bit too easy, but they go mm. along with it anyway. <laughs> a bit too simple, but they go along with it anyway. They um, but they're attacked by some sort of winged sort of beastie bit. A bit like a pterodactyl, it sort of reminds me of. Uh, Grief mm-hmm. is uh, seriously injured, so um, and he's poisoned. Uh, doesn't look like, look like there's a lot they can do to save him, but Grogu manages to save him with his four sealing powers, um, which makes Grief change his mind. He admits that it was a trap and they were going to set him up, but he can't go through with it now that. Uh, Grogu saves his life, so they make a new plan. They go in uh, to meet the client in like a, a bar of some sort, a cantina. Um, they say they've got the child, but they actually haven't. Uh, the crib's empty, but he doesn't realise that straight away. He goes to he gets a call, which we see our first glimpse of uh, Muff Gideon. Played by the brilliant Carlos Esperata, I think that's how you pronounce his surname. I'm not very good with names, so I probably butchered that, unfortunately. Yeah, Giancarlo Esposito. Like I've, I always try to figure. Like, I have trouble saying his first name because it begins with a G. So it sounds like I'm calling. I'm saying John Carlo Esposito. Like he's got three <laughs> names when it's just the first part is all one, like Giancarlo Esposito. <laughs> he tells him to check again um then while he's distracted they they shoot the client dead and then all hell breaks loose massive gunfight in the cantina they take most of them out but then before they know it they're surrounded by um stormtroopers muff gideon lands there himself in a tie fighter mando's desperately trying to 
contact quilt. I'm run off with the child, escape with the child. Uh, he can't, he's not getting an answer. Uh, and the first episode sort of closes with Quill on the floor, presumably dead. Um, also Grogu on the floor, injured. And uh, one of the stormtroopers sort of scoops him up. And that's sort of how that, the first part ends. Second part sort of opens up. They're still um, with the two stormtroopers, with the child arguing about wanting to see him. They get ambushed by IG-11, who uh, rescues Grogu. Then we see the lot, the, the other guys in the cantina hold up, like set up like a minigun type of thing, don't they? I think they had another name for it, which I did uh, write. Um, E-Web, I think. E-Web, called. that was it, yeah. Pretty Pretty powerful gun that's just going to cut through everything. Basically, it gives mm-hmm. Moff Gideon gives them to the evening to decide. They've got no real way out apart apart from the sewers where they see like a vent, so they try and get away through that, but they can't. They can't open it. IG Eleven shows up, take taking out virtually every soldier in his path as he's <laughs> attacking them. With the confusion, they decide to join the fray and. They basically take everybody out. Um, Mando gets Mando gets injured, doesn't he? And the um, <laughs> and they have to sort of the fall, another fall, forced to fall back. Uh, Ig Eleven cuts the grate. The, the others escape. Well, he sort of treats Mando's wounds, and then they join mm-hmm. up with them. They find the armorer and but down in the sewer. Uh, I'm trying to make this. Is, I'm going a bit faster now. I'm trying to make get through this as quick as possible. So then they find their way to like a la like a lava river, uh, mm-hmm. but um, the end like in the tunnel. Uh, but uh, stormtroopers obviously know they're going to be there and they're blocking the entrance. So IG Eleven goes ahead. He blows himself up to take them out. But Moff Gideon tries to take them out with um, his TIE fighter. But Mando uh, recovered and he's been given his jetpack by the armorer. Manages to fly fly up and plant a bomb on the TIE fighter, blowing, blowing the TIE fighter up and crashing mm-hmm. it, crashing it down. And Grief Karga and Cara Dune decide to stay on the planet and help it transition into a more peaceful place without the Imperials. Uh, Mando decides to go with uh, Grogu to try and reunite him with uh, another Jedi or someone of his own kind. And so the show ends with uh, Moff Gideon climbing his way out of the um, TIE fight of a special weapon, which we'll, we'll get to uh, briefly. And, yeah, I was pretty convinced he wasn't, he wouldn't be dead. Uh, and mm-hmm. I was proven right, but he's a good, he's, he's a good villain. So as we say, two really good episodes, very strong episodes with a lot happening. Yeah, I think there's also a lot to digest there. Uh, I talked about like the some of the things I didn't like that popped up in the last episode uh, when we were talking about it. And I mentioned it was one of the few not written by John Favreau, but both of these episodes are written by John Favreau, and you can immediately che- notice the change if you watch like episode six and then go into these episodes. The change in the tone of the episodes and 
I think you can see little hints of John Favreau's like influence. And uh, it's also great how well these devs flow together, considering they've got different directors. Because uh, you've got Deborah Chow, uh, who's in charge of the uh, Obi-Wan series that's coming up, directing uh, the first one. And then episode 8 is actually directed by Taika Waititi, who also plays IG-11. And I think the biggest like like notice and and difference between the two episodes, like in terms of like who's directing it, is at the start of episode eight, when also it's a shocking end to the to episode seven. You know, Quill's been gunned down and everything, which is sad. Also, and also the fact you don't actually see it happen, you just see his body there, and after he's, you've seen him getting chased by the stormtroopers, and then you see the two stormtroopers just having a chat basically, and that's the first five minutes of episode eight. Uh, Adam Pally and Jason Sudeikis are the two actors under the Stormtrooper Man, they're both uh, mainly comedic actors. And just the back and forth up until IG-11 shows up, just sounds like something you'd see in a, a robot chicken, like Star Wars sketch of two just Stormtroopers just hanging about waiting for orders, because you don't, don't actually, before this in Star Wars, you just see the Stormtroopers just show up and start shooting, whereas this is just the wee bit you don't get to see, like the Stormtroopers waiting to be told what to do up until IG-11, pretty Pretty even though he's not a, a hunter droid anymore, he's supposed to protect the child, so he he will he does not care who has to kill to protect the kid. Like even says to Grief Cargo, like, protect the child, I will have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, have we seen um with uh Thor Ragnarok and other films he's uh directed, he likes to insert a, a fair bit of humour into his uh, projects, doesn't he? Um which is always good. I really enjoy his. I really enjoy his stuff, and um, yeah, yeah, it's sort of typical, typical of his style. That opening, yeah, because like, also him working with Favreau, like you can expect that kind of stuff because you know Favreau also directs the Iron Man films, and Iron Man was always the most comedic, well, not comedic, but more sarcastic character in the MCU. So he always had was had a had a joke. And I used to think Thor was quite bland up until Taika Waititi took over yeah, the direction of that uh, film series. So it's nice to see, like, see that a little bit of humour, even though it comes weirdly if you're watching it back-to-back. These two episodes, such a shocking like cliffhanger to episode 7 to then come into this at the start of episode 8. And also, like, as they try to shoot at something, but even though they're not that far away, they both keep missing, which I think is another shot at the... Uh, the idea of the stormtroopers being having terrible aim and never being able to hit anything. Yeah, there's a there's a there's quite a few like sort of in jokes and ribs throughout the series, isn't there? And little nods and Easter eggs as well, which is always good to see. Um, hardcore fans will probably notice more than your casual fans, because I imagine mm-hmm. there's a lot of people going to Mando that weren't always initially. St- big Star Trek fans or not Star Trek fans at all. So it, it's opened a lot of doors and brought in quite a, quite a new fan base. But yeah, yeah. you always do find um, the sort of Favre's credited as a series creator. And when they write the episodes, because they, it's more or less their vision. The scripts do tend to be a mm-hmm. bit sort of tighter and more meaningful. Yeah. Because, like, Dave Filoni is always often credited for most episodes as an executive producer, so you can always tell, like, the quality episodes when, like, he directs them as well, because he has input in, like, the the direction Mm. and the vision of the episode, and especially, like, when when he has an episode uh, next season, which sets up a show that he'll be in charge of, you can definitely see his influence there. But I think it was interesting that, you know, you've got 
each episode seems to have a different director and all directors, even though they go on from what's been already written by the writers of the show, they also always have their input to give uh, with the show. And I do like the start of this. It feels like some people looking at episode 7 on its own would see it more as, a, as they watch it week to week as kind of a set-up for the finale kind of episode. And anyway, I think it does it better than most TV shows because it seems to be a case of literally right from the off, it's right back to the main narrative of the story, which is about keeping the kids safe and this client sorcery still looking for him. And Mando has to go back to Navarro, but he goes off to different planets he's been to previously in the series. He has to go back to Sorgan to meet Garden and get her help and everything. And then, like, but she's also hesitant at first because, again, former short trooper doesn't want to bring too much attention to herself. And then has to go back to get Creel, who I think he wanted to leave the kid with him. Uh, but then Creel insists on coming with him and bringing IG-11 as well. And we then delve into more about Mando's, not only Mando's history with the droids, where we get like a flashback in uh, episode 8 as well, but we also get to hear more about Creel, which uh, in hindsight when you think about the more, when we get all this detail about his past with the Empire, it, it kind of feels like they were setting up for you to care about him more because he was about to get like killed off. Yeah, definitely, yeah. <clears throat> Fleshing out his character a little bit. He was sort of sold to the uh, Empire and sort of forced to work for them. Um, but he sort of says he sort of bought his freedom by working hard and he, he went back and like made like a home for himself. And you see like a, a nice little montage kind of thing where he's sort of show, telling you and we're seeing how he sort of rebuilt IG-11 and retrained him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because obviously a fair amount of time he should have obviously passed since he uh, he got the child and like they're running with IG eleven, so it shows what both of these two have been up to in that time. Yeah, definitely. As you as you refer to as well, a bit later on in this episode, we see why Mando hates droids so much because the where he was, his planet uh, was attacked by droids. You see him, his parents clutching him as a small child, running with him, and they've been hunted down by a droid. And they sort of stash him in like a bit of a bunker type of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it sort of opens up, and there's a droid there ready to kill him. But he's saved by uh, another Mandalorian who sort of takes him in, and they raise him and train him as one of their own. So it's understandable why he doesn't like droids, because as far as he's aware, they're, they're, they're all programmed to kill you. Yeah, pretty much, because you see uh, one of the old kind of battle droids you see in like the, either the Clone Wars or the prequels, kind of the, where they mm. have the kind of the guns coming out the wrists and everything. So you have to think this would be the early days of the Empire and you know, conquering everywhere and like still everywhere relying on droids rather than uh, the troopers that they would uh, want to use. And that does lead to a conversation between him and Quill. You know, like Quill saying like not all droids are inherently evil; they are imprinted by who, those who create them. So if someone have a droid designed by someone with the intention of using the droid to kill, the droid will do so, but he's designed it to protect. And so, as we see, IG-11 does everything he can to protect the child. Uh, it does feel like when he comes in, just all guns blazing in, in Navarro and the city, he, it does look a bit stupid. But then again, like he's just so impeded by his program, he doesn't care that he's bringing all his attention to himself. He's just sitting in, shooting and shooting. And it always cuts to Grogu's face, just close up. He's just loving it. He's riding on a speeder. He's sad he's going to be despite the fact there's all this gunfire going on around him. And that does lead to everybody coming out 
inciting because Mandosley doesn't trust Grogu with with the droid because he thinks he's going to get killed. Yeah, it's uh, but he does. But um, you sort of see towards the end of the second episode, he has sort of learned to trust IG Eleven a little bit because he sort of stop tries to talk him out of sacrificing himself, doesn't he? So um, mm-hmm. that's a nice little touch and character development for for Mando there. Yeah, because he does end up having to save Mando at the end because uh, Mando. When he goes out, he tries to use the e-web against uh, the troopers. And there's a thing I love about Moff Gideon. I think we'll talk about him more a little bit mm. sort of as a character. But just a really good example of how confident of a villain and as a character he is. He just walks out casually. All of his gunfire around him and just casually just starts shooting his gun at Mando. And then he sees, basically, I think, whatever the generator that powers the weapon. And he sees how close Mando stands it, so he just shoots at it. So, like, Mando's hiring a, a high-powered weapon that Gideon, not 10 minutes earlier, was going on about how deadly it was and how he was going to use it against them. But he's now just walking in while he sees Mando pointing at him, just like, fuck you, and shits the generator thing, which nearly, the explosion nearly kills Mando. And, like, he's so stubborn and so, like, fixed in the ways of, as my dog is very angry about Mando nearly dying, he's so fixed <laughs> in the ways of the Mandalorian that he's, well, he's like, Cardin tries to take the helmet off, and he's like, he'd rather basically die than take the helmet off, but he makes the exception for IG-11, because he's not a living thing, and that's the first time we actually see Pedro Pascal's face in the show. Yeah, it is. It's uh, quite an unexpected reveal. I wasn't sure if we were ever going to see him out of the helmet, or, or not, to be honest, as we're watching the show, and I, I kind of like that. It's a bit, bit of sort of like a, a sort of Judge Dredd kind of thing, going on. There's a cool moment. Point. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, it's all right. That's, you can go. No, I was going to say, also, uh, also learn about his backstory and everything, get to see his face. We also learn a bit about him, like, just in general, uh, all these details about Mando, like, his name's Din Jarn, and that he knows that Moff Gideon, who he is, because Gideon was a, an officer. Uh, ISB refers to him as during the Great Purge of Mandalore. And he's heard the stories from the other Mandalorians, and he he's obviously assumes he's Mandalorian, so he must have been raised on Mandalore. And they explained to him like it's a creed, not a, a race. Like so, he's a foundling, so they like he doesn't have to be born on Mandalore to be a Mandalorian. And he said like he knows it's it's kidding because uh, I haven't heard that name since I was a child. And so as it's builded on like the background of his childhood that we heard like glimpses of in uh, the Sanctuary episode where he said he hadn't shown his face to anybody since. You know, shortly, shortly after he was like a young child. Yeah, and also, um, Cara Jean, uh, she sort of says she thought um, Muff Gideon was dead as well. So um, that was another little wrinkle there. And Mando sort of tells her he clearly isn't, he's the only one who could know my name. So, uh, so it's quite an interesting villain. And um, he's sort of Giancarlo, he's sort of carved that itself like a little niche as these sort of villains as well he's seen quite a few TV series as uh, playing a villain like um, in The Boys he plays Mr Edgar which is a very similar kind of villain he's, Mr Edgar's a very mm-hmm. sort of cool, collected, always seems in control even though he's um, faced, you know 
he's in charge of these superheroes. <laughs> he always seems to be in control of them somehow. Uh, Moff Gideon's the same, you know, all this chaos, everything going on. And, um, yeah, he, he seems unflappable by it all. Another little thing I like is um, when you look at the stormtroopers and their armour, it, it's dirty, isn't it? You, you can see mm-hmm. you can see the dirt and grime on them. They're not pristine and white like they are in the movies. I, I, I think that adds a bit of uh, gravitas and realism to the to the show. That the the suits um, aren't sort of sparkly and shiny, sort of thing. Yeah, I think that goes to like the fact that, as Karga says, that shortly after the whole the battle with the, the Mandalorians and the members of the guild, uh, the Imperials arrived because also the client looking for the child as a, as part of the Empire, and so all these troopers are shown. So it's, it's maybe that these guys have been here for quite a while. It's seemingly cleared out the town because you don't see many other people other than either the troopers or like the main characters that were performing here, like our protagonists. So they've pretty much cleared out the town and everything. And so they have been there a while, so I think that does add to, as you said. And yeah, also I think a lot of you would first have seen uh, Giancarlo as uh, Gus and Breaking Bad. And so, yeah, he carded that niche. I did see a, a joke about him saying that, like, he seems to be the go-to guy for a villain in, like, the second or so season of your show. Because he comes a bigger part of the Mandalorian season two. He's the main character, one of the main villains, he said, in season two of The Boys. I don't think he appears in Breaking Bad until like the end of the second, start of the third season. So he's one of those later season villains you get. And I think he's one of those actors who, like, uh, has been around for a while, but when he was, it's not until he was older, he finally found, like, that key role to help him break out and start covering East from him. So, like, apparently Samuel Jackson was the same. He didn't get his big feature role, I think, until he was, like, 40. But, like, I remember last Christmas watching uh, Trading Places, the Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd film. And there's a scene where uh, Eddie Murphy's in a jail cell and a young junk all Esposito's standing right next to him. And the jail, he's like, he doesn't really have that many lines. I think he's called, like, Cellmate 2. It's what he's credited as. Oh, right. <laughs> but, but it's like, it's one of those things where like, you see how long he's been around as an actor and it's only now he's getting these big featured roles. And it clearly, obviously, we've learned before that before now we should have realised how good he was at playing villains and, like, Nothing screams villain like walking in, not only wearing all black, but he's the only one around wearing a cape. That just screams villain, and yet he doesn't ham, ham up in any way. He's completely deadpan about everything. Yeah, he's, he's brilliant. And uh, yeah, they do like their capes, these high up imperial <laughs> officers, don't they? And um, as we record this on Monday, 26th of April, it is actually Giancarlo's birthday. So uh, I'm sure he's an avid listener. So happy birthday for whenever this uh, goes out. And hopefully he didn't switch off when we were struggling to pronounce your name. Hopefully (laughs) he's forgiven us for that. Yes, uh, apologies. (laughs) But I'd also do like kind of the reveal of his character right at the end of episode seven and that like, we see uh, the guy that Mando was dealing with before, who uh, gave him the job, gave him the Beskar armor uh, that he's now put into his suit and talks about how good it looks on him. And like, it's basically the case of Mando's suit becoming more and more like a proper Mandalorian that you'd expect to see. Like he doesn't get his jetpack till the very end of the show, but then we kind of you feel that secretly, like he's not the main guy all on the main client that they were trying to kill. The main person they need to worry about is Moff Gideon, and Gideon just basically 
shoots that guy down and shoots down all the troopers that are in the cantina just and does this like monologue about like you have no idea how much like like how important it is to me that I have that child. Doesn't say it in those exact words, but you know, if you've seen the episode you know what he says. And yeah, obviously he talks about this weapon, he knows who Karadun is, he knows who Dinjarin is and he talks about the, the Night of a Thousand Tears and the Siege of Mandalore and it makes sense that he would be there because we see at the end of summer he has the dark saber, which the role seems to be that whoever wields the dark saber rules Mandalore and uh, towards the end of Rebels uh, like the Bo-Katan and Sabine Wren had uh, the dark saber so you got to think some point before maybe the beginning of uh, the original trilogy and the timeline of the of the universe uh, somehow Moff Gideon's got the dark saber we don't see how uh, but hopefully he sticks around for season three and we get more details as to how he actually got the dark saber in the first place yeah it'd be interesting to know or find out at some point uh, how we come to get hold of the dark saber and for me I hadn't seen um rebels or um clone wars so the dark saber it, it, it didn't really register with me i thought oh he's got like a, <laughs> a cool weapon and then i go online everyone's talking about this dark saber thing and i was completely oblivious to it it was only when i um during the lockdown um and this would be after i'd watched season two i think that um I was able to put all the pieces together about Bo-Katan and uh, the mm-hmm. Dark Saber and and what it means to the universe. So I've got a lot more out of this from rewatching it after seeing some more backstory about stuff from the Clone Wars and uh, Rebels. And it's nice that they've got something to link them all together as well. Yeah, definitely because. Uh, I- I, like, I was watching all sorts of videos after the first season about the Darksaber and apparently like, he was talking about the only ever Mandalorian who joined the Jedi Order first created the Darksaber but he obviously has the, the handles more like a traditional like, sword and not like a lightsaber and so that was him basically putting his own stamp on it and wanting to be not like all the other Jedi and then yeah, over the years it became basically whoever wields this rules Mandalore. Like, it was a really Feel like, and it's also been shown to be as powerful as a lightsaber because it's been like in uh, Clone Wars pre Vizsla with a guy who tried to rule Mandalore voiced by John Favreau and uh, so the Clone Wars he has a fight with Darth Maul and Darth Maul's also his red lightsaber and the dark saber is able to like withstand because basically it has a lightsaber but it's a different shape of it and we'll be interested to see what happens with that going to the end as a good link to like the expanded game and again maybe the influence of like the a day following or someone like that, or maybe they just want to, or hoping to expand more into the history of uh, the Mandalorian. Yeah, we see it. We see a lot more in season two, which will be uh, hopefully starting next week for you. That they they introduce even more characters and things from uh, the Clone Wars and and Rebels into the Mandalorian universe, which uh, makes makes it more you know even more interesting than it is. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's really good this new expanded universe and obviously you've you're gonna have um more series um spinning off from the Mandalorian as well. So uh a lot yeah. to look a lot to look forward to. So it'd be interesting to see what the um oh um the name's gone from my head now, the, the Jedi that turns up in it. Um 
Ahsoka. Ahsoka. That's it. Just oh, mine just went blank. Just couldn't think. Yeah, be interesting what the, where they take the Ahsoka series and what they decide to do there. So uh, some interesting stuff. There's quite like the scene in um, the second episode where the stormtrooper of the flamethrower comes in and. Uh, mm-hmm. It looks like he's going to roast everybody, but Grogu uses the force to sort of re- propel the fire back onto him, which uh, was a cool little scene. I thought it was a cool-looking uh, stormtrooper. His outfit was slightly different with some sort of red trim on it, which was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I looked this up, uh, and I think they are called incinerator troopers. Or something like that. This particular kind of strip, like, there were a couple of different ones. The regular ones. There was this one. There are also kind of these like ones all dressed in kind of black, which uh, I can't remember what they're called. But I think they may have popped up at one point in uh, in Rogue One or something like that. But yeah, say also we know Ahsoka pops up in uh, season two of her show. I think definitely when he said that, uh, obviously like Rebels had four seasons. I think fully wanted to continue it longer, but I don't know why. It didn't go further, but basically the stories that they were telling in Rebels in one way or another will continue through the Ahsoka series, apparently. And so we may oh, see some like, so basically some live action versions maybe of the characters we saw in, in Rebels will pop up and, uh, and Ahsoka, but we can talk about that more in Season 2. But what I like about Mandalorian, and especially these episodes, is that, like in Season 2 where we get Ahsoka, it's the closest uh, to like a Jedi we get to see more closer to like the set of action scenes you'd see in a regular Star Wars movie. But what I like about Mandalorian is the same thing I liked about Rogue One. Rogue One's actually one of my top three in terms of best Star Wars movies of all time, in my opinion. The action scenes are different from what you expect in a Star Wars film. It's more relying on actual weapons, not relying on people who use the Force, other than the occasional scene with Grogu. And yet Grogu like, does it twice across these two episodes. But you see, you see across the series, it takes a lot out of them to actually do it, because uh, Group Cargo one says to him, one point, come on baby, do the magic hand thing. <laughs> and there is you got to rely on like, other ways of fighting in these shows. Uh, and also what I like about this, it gives uh, an interesting look into the actual expanded like universe here, because Quill uh, says he's heard stories of like people who can do what the kid does, but he's never actually seen it. And Wesley well, like, Cargo is also going to say he calls it magic and everything, and uh, when the armor tells him about uh, the Jedi and everything. Like Din Djarin also seems like he's never heard of them. So, like, even though the Jedi were around for like thousands of years, they say in the prequels, it seems like also because so much time has passed since there are most of them are wiped out. There's a whole like new generation of people in the universe, or maybe people who just lived too far out in the universe that don't know who the Jedi are. So, it goes to not everybody in the universe in the Star Wars universe knows who the Jedi are. Yeah, and uh, I agree with you on Rogue One. That's one of my favourite Star Wars films as well. It's uh, really good. So if you haven't seen it yet, make sure you check that out. But yeah, we get to um, the the part in season, uh, not season two, but uh, episode eight. We managed to get away to, uh, through the, the vent into the sewers and um, back to sort of the sort of the Mandalorian's hideout and it pretty much looks like the Imperials have been there already um, and uh, 
yeah, there's nobody about apart from the armorer, and she tells them, I think some escaped, but she can't be, she doesn't sound too sure, does she? Mm. Uh, I looked up the actress, Emily Soul, I believe is the name of the, the actress, but her, like, I'm sure I know her from somewhere I looked her in IDB. She was a, she's technically a villain yet, and like, I think it was season 11 of Supernatural, she was in, she played a character called Amara uh, in that show. But ah, she's a Mara, is she? Yeah. Uh, so obviously, fans, any fans of Supernatural out there will know uh, about the significance of that character. But maybe it's one of those Mandela effect things. If I even know what the Mandela effect even is. Yeah, yeah, that's not, that's, old, that's, old, that's, old, yeah. Let's not go down that road again. <laughs> but I remember one of the scenes with the armor being very different. I too was convinced. That, like she fends off like the uh, the stormtroopers that come down the tunnel looking for them after they've already made their way to the, the lava flat. Uh, but she fends off them quite well with the, the hammer. She throws one of them into the, the fire that she uses to melt the the Vescar. So, which looked, which is one of the more brutal deaths I think I've ever seen in any form of Star Wars related media. But, but I, I was convinced that she, she fends off them for a while, but eventually gets gunned down. But no, from what we've seen, she actually makes it alive. So. She's not in any of season two, but you know, there's always like leaving that open for season three for her and some of the other people and that's from this Mandalorian like core that managed to escape, like crossing paths with Mando again at some point, which I think would be a interesting way to go because it, it would feel a bit too open ended to say like never see those characters again and she also like makes that Mando and Grogu are kind of a new creed now and she puts the symbol of like the the mud horn into the side of Mando's armour as their symbol because Grogu helped save him from the Mudhorn in episode two. Yeah, and she sort of tells him by their creed, he uh, Mando's as good as um, Grogu's father and he has to look after him now until he can reunite him with one of his own, which I think they mean uh, another Jedi by that. And we get mm-hmm. to that in the season. That's basically his task and story in um, season two, isn't it? Uh, to find a Jedi of the right people to reunite Grogu so he can get the training and care that he actually needs. So, yeah, um, and also yeah. to say, part of the is to find other Mandalorians like, that have escaped uh, from the virus to help make his search a bit easier. And he does. We do see in season two he finds mandolins, but not the ones he was looking for. That's uh, why what I meant about the um, like Hartley armor or some of the other mandos that we've seen before season one, maybe returning for season three. And yeah, it is. It's fitting that they show that that flashback of that of that mando of saving him, saving him, and you know basically said they raised him to his age and then he swore the creed. So basically, he's now in the position of that Mandalorian was before him, where also he's now one who's found a, a foundling and has to basically now it's his responsibility. And that's that's then leads to their relationship growing over season uh, two and everything. And then it is one of the better parts to show the relationship between Mando and uh, Grogu, even though Grogu can actually talk. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty cool how much you sort of get from uh, Grogu, just from his expressions and stuff, really. <laughs> he, doesn't, he, he doesn't need to talk. It's uh, it's really well done. But yeah, they managed to escape to um, 
like a, the lava river and a boat and uh, they're making their escape and on his infrared sort of thing on his suit you can see that the stormtroopers are waiting for them and they try and order the uh, the droid that's uh, sailing the, the, the boat to stop but it doesn't stop so I don't know if it's some sort of trap or the droid's just not very responsive and I, I can't I couldn't decide but they have to shoot it in the end because it, it wouldn't stop I think it was maybe it was just like an old droid because they think it's like fried when when they first mm. start it's only when they push the boat out a bit that the droid actually comes to life and then obviously like we mentioned the IG-11 having to sacrifice himself and Mando kind of feeling a bit sad about it even though he, before he, he swore he didn't like droids and he goes I'm not sad and IG-11 goes yes you are I'm a nurse droid I'll analyse your vocal patterns so he knows that Mando uh, feels bad about him having to say it and again it's like his strict program like I can't be captured so like if I go out there like I can't fight back because I'll be in lava but my primary secondary function will be to blow up which will give you guys a chance to escape which means the child will be safe so I will have, you know, mean I will follow my program. So like he's such a stickler for his program, kind of similar to how Mando is for his his Korean and everything. No, this is the way and everything. But he does it in a way that manages to like do something nice for other people, even though as a droid, also he's not maybe to really care about like emotions or anything like that. Yeah, it's quite an emotional scene as well. The IG Eleven sort of climbs out of the boat and wades through the lava until he reaches the entrance and, uh, yeah, he's completely out guns and he uh, just blows himself up, taking the stormtroopers with him. But they're, they're not home and dry yet. Uh, Moff Gideon's there ready in his uh, TIE fighter and he makes uh, an attempt to shoot them, but he misses them on the first run. But Mando warns them he won't miss next time. <laughs> And obviously, so that's when he, he uses the, the jetpack and everything. I, I, I love how these two episodes flow because I remember the scene of them like waiting in the, the canteen, like going on longer. But no, like episode seven flows really well in a season. So, episode eight, so these episodes, everything, a lot happens. You know, like they think they've gotten past after the emotional scene of like IG 11 sacrifice themselves, and then immediately you've got the familiar thing of the TIE fighter coming in and having to fight back. and uh, it's not like too easy, like he's hanging on to the, the TIE fighter for a while and he put, goes to put one charge on and it, like, it falls off and it blows up in midair. And then he manages to get it the second time round and it's quite impressive for the first time he's used a jetpack, seemingly because he says he did training but not since he was young. And like the armour made it seem like you need to like, like be careful with this, otherwise it won't be your commands. So, you know, he seems to have missed the jetpack quite quickly and like getting realizing that the ship he's in, he's about to blow up and fucking crash, is the only time you actually see him rattled at any point. And I did feel like it, maybe it's a hasty thing, but it did seem quite stupid for none of the three protagonists to maybe go over to that wreckage and maybe just double check that he's dead. Yeah, it, it might have paid them to, to double check, but uh, straight away they're, they're talking about like they've won and um, yeah. Goof and Cara decide to stay in Navarro to put things right. Um, Manda says he can't stay. He's got to find someone for uh, find someone for the child. 
And there's a nice see, touching scene there where he's obviously buried Quill as well, so he's giving Quill a proper burial before he he leaves him, which was a, a cool touch. Mm-hmm. And then we get yeah. the the night the, the cool ending where yeah, Moff, Moff Gideon isn't a lot, isn't dead. He survived the crash, and not only that, but yeah, he's got the dark saber. Which he uses to sort of mm-hmm. cut himself out of the destroyed TIE fighter. And uh, yeah, it's uh, a nice little touch of it. So again, first watching it, it went over my head. I didn't know I didn't know what it was because I hadn't seen the Clone Wars or anything. So it's good that I've been able to go back and uh, understand what it what it's all about. Yeah. I did like uh, when they set out camp in the in the episode in the first episode, uh Carga uh, says that you know at night this place is uh, lousy with Jawas and it's some Jawas going around the TIE fighter looking for scraps that are scared away when he first cuts through with the dark saber, which I thought was quite interesting. A bit of a connection there with the Jawas being like scavengers and everything like that. And the thing with Carga, we don't you often talk about his like character is that like we still say he means well and he changes his mind to like help the child after the child saves him. But deep down, you know, he's not, like, the all uh, most wholesome of guys, because, like, as soon as he's distinctly one, you know, he's in the Empire is out of Navarro, after, you know, like Kara says before, you know, Empire got their hooks pretty deep into that place. Uh, he's all about talking about making it back to where it was again, like, what do you mean, a home for bounty hunters? Some of my favourite people are bounty hunters. <laughs> and he's talking about getting Mando to come back to the guild and, like, getting courage into... Uh, to join everything, everything, so he's not the most wholesome of characters. And I did think it was funny that he thought the child was trying to eat him when they came over. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's trying to eat me. <laughs> uh, I, I looked up uh, online at uh, Navarro Reptavians. Apparently, what the name of the creatures? I don't think they've ever appeared outside of all of this, but obviously, there's clearly a name for everything in Star Wars. Uh, I did think, yeah, they were kind of like pterodactylus, but also kind of a, a if you cross a pterodactyl with a dragon, like one of, the, with one of the dragons from Game of Thrones, make the dragon a bit less scaly. That's what these things look like, yeah, but obviously he's been like scratched and poisoned, and uh, you don't often see the Jedi healing uh, people, I don't think, but obviously Grogu helps them, uh, like heals them, and also that helps them, like, decide, like, the plan was to basically kill you and take the kids, which I don't think that would have worked considering you've got Carver and uh, Mando, you've seen them and the, what they've done in the past. I don't think that would have worked even if they had went through with it, but this is well for Chris Cargus that they chose to like, turn on his, uh, the other two guild members because there were three of them. I'm pretty sure the Reptavians took one of them. Like He swings it and grabs them. And also one of the creatures that Quill brings gets dragged away by it as well. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. The uh, yeah, Quill's creature and that getting dragged away by the the whatever you called it, the dragony thing. Yeah, but, and and it's, it's sad about Quill because also sad for him to get killed off, but he was, was such a good character and the big points that we saw him. But like when it showed, I felt sad again when uh, it shows him like burying him because literally so much had happened because I watched it so bad about so much was happening. I said there's constantly stuff like moving into the next thing. I remembered, oh yeah, Quill died, didn't he? Just so much had happened since I'd watched the end of the seventh episodes and you've got the nice moment on the ship with um, 
like Grogu kind of playing with the wee necklace that Andra had when he's neck from his his guild and well, like from the group of Mandalorians, which uh, he was going to give to Cardin when he was convinced he was going to die to like give this to when you see them like give this to them like to them. Didn't Jaren sent you? And he's looking at thinking like wondering where the other Mandos are, but he now knows he's got the symbol on his side of him, which means obviously his loyalties are to the child now, not to the old like Mandalorians he was serving under. So it's kind of a touching moment between these two. He says, like, why don't you hold on to this for me? Yeah, definitely. And uh, the bond between uh, Grogu and Mando is uh, getting stronger as the uh, mm-hmm. the episodes and seasons move on, which is which is clear to see. And uh, see him more so in uh, season two. But yeah, as I say, I completely forgot about Creel as well until the uh, the burial bit. And I was like, oh yeah. Because <laughs> as you say, it's uh, a lot happening in these episodes. But it's never never too much that you can't digest it. It's all it's, It all seems to be paced pretty well. But yeah. But there... It's, uh, let's say, great stuff. If I was going to rate this episode, I'd probably give it a 10 out of 10, to be honest, for both of them. I think they're excellent episodes, which uh, get everything across that they need to without any sort of padding or or anything. It's uh, great, you know, even though it's not technically on television, but it is great television. And it just leaves you... Anticipating the next series, basically. Yeah, hundred percent. I think obviously if we're talking about them combined, they're definitely a ten. I think you could like it'd be hard to not rate either of these episodes ten if you're just watching them by themselves, especially episode eight. Like episode seven, the worst I could get is maybe a nine, mainly because of the setup. Uh, uh, most of it is setting up for the, yeah, the next episode, but even then, that's a minor thing. To look at it, so yeah, these episodes are almost like as perfect as you can maybe get. And the thing about Quill that was so sad, I almost put my mind, but I've got it again. Uh, the thing that was sad about him when he died is that he was so close to the ship as well uh, when he got shot down. Because Mando said to him that if he gets him back to the ship and engages the protocols, then like nobody's getting inside. So he, would, he was so close to him, and the child being safe, and then. Like, he managed to get good, which is the most heartbreaking part of it. Yeah, and he'd become such a likeable and important character to the thing as well. Uh, it was, mm-hmm. He'd sort of earned his redemption, um, was living his life. And, uh, yeah, it, you know, he went out. But he went out. I think he went out sort of the way he'd want to, doing, doing good, if that's any mm-hmm. consolation for him. But yeah, uh, as you're saying, you can't really rate either episode lower than a nine. And I'll go as far as to say they're five stars in the Tokyo Dome, Scott. <laughs> I think I, I'd say that as well. Yeah, and there might be some episodes in uh, season two that break the system and go six stars in the Tokyo Dome. Who knows? Who knows? The only time will we'll tell. But uh, yeah, have you got anything else you wanna you wanna add? I think I've pretty much summed up everything I wanted to talk about in the episodes. Yeah, I've been looking like over like all of the notes. I mean, all of it's just plot points just to talk about. But in terms of actually analysing 
bits that I enjoyed about the episode. Uh, no, I think I've got everything I need. To, I think the real change from last last episode, which is the only, one of the few episodes where we really nitpicked at things uh, neg- more negatively uh, so far in the show. But I think we're back to pretty much as we said, as perfect as you can get from a, a like a two part like finale. Yeah, and, and when you sort of get to these episodes, I, it's hard to find what episode six even adds to anything, really. it's uh, You could take episode six out and not lose anything, couldn't you, really? Yeah, pretty much. It wouldn't really... really the only thing that really connects it uh, is the fact that... The only thing that connects it is the transmission... Is showing in episode six that's uh, a bit blurry from from Karga. but other than that, there's really nothing that connects them. I mean, uh, Zero's body pops up again in, in season two, but honestly, you can miss oh. that episode as well. Oh, I suppose I suppose there is Mayfield that pops up in season oh, yeah, two, Mayfield. but but again, I've I totally forgot he was in that episode, and it I I, I just assumed he was like an off-screen character until I went back and rewatched it. So it wouldn't it wouldn't sort of hurt that too much, really. Yeah, like other than maybe interesting people, but I think even then you could have had a better episode to introduce uh, Mayfield. And so yeah, other other than that, pretty much you can skip episode six, even though it's better. It's still better than episode two of season two. Yeah, episode. Yeah, episode two. I was, I was quite worried actually after watching episode two. I was thinking, oh god, this is uh, falling down a cliff a bit. But um, yeah, once that episode two was out of the way, it really picked up and got into great television again. So it was yeah, just like one of those. Time, yeah. The next time when we talk about the first episode of season uh, two, I I really enjoy that episode. I think it really falls on like. The strong like run of episodes we've got from these last two any season two episode one. I really enjoyed that episode. I really enjoyed the guest star of that episode. Uh, the episode two, as I said, like is a real downgrade, and then it immediately picks right back up again for the rest of the season. I think you know not to give too much of my opinions too early on. No, no, we'll uh, save them for for when we get. Uh... When we get to them, but yeah, uh, yeah, I, I again, I was a big fan of the guest star in uh, episode one, and that does a really good job of setting things up for the rest of the season as well with uh, with what happens in that episode. So mm-hmm. uh, it all makes sense. But yeah, episode two is when you sort of feel you could probably a bit like uh, episode six. You could sort of take it out, and you wouldn't miss a whole lot apart from perhaps the planet he lands on, which uh, sets a few things up. Yeah, like episode two is really just to like use to find a reason for why he has to go to a particular planet, which is important for because he has to be there in episode three. But even then, you could have found a better way to do that. Probably, probably, but at least you get Richard Iowody's voice for a few <laughs> for a few brief lines, I suppose. I suppose so. If you have to find a silver line, <laughs> but yeah, um, are you ready to ready to do our plugs? I'm ready to yeah do my plugs and then fly off on my jetpack into the the universe. <laughs> <laughs> So you can find me at 
Carlos underscore fire 80 on Twitter and Instagram. You can find the brand at rogue underscore opinions on Twitter and Instagram. You can check out our website, um, rogueopinions.wordpress.com. Uh, you can find a lot of our podcasts um, on Apple and whatever thing you, platform you're listening on to it now, I dare say. So check out the uh, episodes of The Mandalorian if you haven't yet, but where the hell are you starting on this one? Um, <laughs> you can check out, if you haven't listened to them yet, you can check out my and Scott's uh, Takeover and WrestleMania reviews that we've done. Um, uh, you can check out Bantam Munich that I do with Liam and Reese, and you can check out the Rogue Chronicles that I do with uh, Liam, where we talk about popular villains in pop culture, and there is a Darth Vader one that we did to link it into this, so uh, you can check that out. And me and Scott are also discussing bringing you uh, a Bad Batch part as well at some point when that when that hits the screens. Yeah, I mean, I think you can. I think we may have to rebrand this, you know, some sort of like a Star Wars thing because when once we get to the end of season two of of Mando and. I figured we could do it, so it's not we want to see season three and later on that, but, you know, it's going to be a case of, like, we're going to be on a bit of a Star Wars kick, and, and like, so you need something to talk about, because I believe uh, sometime next week is May the 4th, like, sometime next Tuesday is May the, the 4th, uh, and so that's when episode one of the Bad Batch drops, and I heard, I believe it's maybe 90 minutes to two hours, like the first episode. That's why it's only three episodes. Ah. The first one's kind of like a mini movie almost. So, you know, that should be a lot of fun. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ScootMcLeod1996. Uh, follow, or like I said, Rogue underscore opinions, as Carl said. Uh, keep up with the other episode, like the uh, rebooking podcast uh, that me, Carl, and, and Nathan did for WrestleMania. Uh Check out the Rogue Retro Smackdown review that I do. Uh, Sam Preston has officially joined on as my full-time co-host. And me, him, and new member to the podcast, uh, Rian, who you may have heard on some other episodes of the, uh, the Smackdown review, will be getting together to review WrestleMania 2000. And I'm sure we all can't wait for that. <laughs> we're recording this on a Monday, so last night was Impact Wrestling's Rebellion. And sometime later this week, me and myself fall me and my friend Paul uh, Brown from Scott and Paul's Round Podcast, which you can follow on Twitter at SB Rambling, uh, will be reviewing everything. I'm rebellion, also talking a little bit about hardcore justice that happened a few weeks prior. And you can find um, Eat Sleep Super Street at Super Street. I just did an episode of the show I do there, East Meets West, talking about Will Osprey winning the IWGP World title and the fact that he called out CM Punk and also the fact that. New Japan have an absolutely ridiculous schedule coming up, uh, including a show uh, coming out on May the 4th. So, you know, I've got New Japan and Star Wars on May the 4th, so what a day that's going to be for me. <laughs> and the guys are doing all sorts of other great content. You can find them. Uh, I was on the latest episode of their YouTube quiz series, uh, Quiz Showdown, which was all about a pop culture related one. Uh, the first round was inspired by a, a game you may have seen on uh, an episode of Friends. So if you're interested in that, go check out that quiz. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's a, all the plugs I have for right now. But I'm just looking forward to all this, the Star Wars related content. 
uh, that we've still got to come, uh, especially with Mandalorian. And we've got some stuff we've been working on. It's actually coming up on two years uh, of Rogue Opinions sometime in May. Uh, towards the end of the year, it will be two years of Rogue Opinions, if you can believe that. And uh, we've actually been talking about ideas, not just for the anniversary, but for shows that we've not done in a while that we want to bring back, maybe some new stuff we're going to be doing. So please stay tuned to our socials for that. And also, the most important thing anybody listening to this podcast should remember is that this is the way. I have spoken.